I'd like to uh, begin the reflection with uh, just uh, appreciation for uh, each of you, for all of you. I've been here for a good amount of time already and we are in what I like to call the heart of the retreat, the center, the middle. And it can be fruitful to to reflect on that and and sometimes to kind of reflect with a big perspective on the on the movements, on the ups and downs, on the changes as some of you have been doing. And just to see that and to see how we can bring that insight from and of seeing how things have moved and changed in a non-linear way. <laughs> yeah. Not just going in one direction, but up and down. And bringing that as an insight that we can then apply and um, be supported by at different times. So a lot of appreciation for the fact that you're here and for the way that you're here. Different people um, meeting different aspects of experience, different types of experience, different levels of well-being and challenge of ill-being also. And this evening I'd like to uh, continue to unfold the, the practices, the teachings that we've been exploring so far. And to begin by you know, reminding us that we have been um, cultivating, developing an attitude of metta in different ways over the days here. Through um, being mindful with the breath, with sounds, yeah, with an anchor of attention with the body. And we've done that with inclining the mind to kindness and to interest. Uh, we've done that in the formal meta practice using the phrases or the images and the beings. We've done that through how we've been uh, meeting hindrances or discomfort in the body. Right? It's always there as an attitude that we um, are cultivating and that we are uh, using, that we're being supported by. And today we've also brought in uh, through the neutral relationship, <laughs> yeah, also those parts of our lives which are, uh, they don't fall into this, uh, these camps of the pleasant and the unpleasant. Yeah? The, um, those that it's easy to bring metta to, towards and those where it's more difficult. Yeah. So they're kind of this neutral, this in-between. And as we've been doing all these practices, in the background or in the foreground, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you've been cultivating metta, you've been cultivating this kindness, this interest, as a way of relating to experience. And it can be really interesting and worthwhile to reflect what happens when we practice. And what happens, and particularly when we engage with our experience, with these intentions of kindness and of interest. I love the, the way uh, Jaya was talking about it as like we're shifting, uh, we're changing the prism, we're changing what we're looking at 
Yeah, we're changing the frame of our camera lens. Yeah, from the object uh, to the way of relating. And as we're doing that, we're changing the habits of our mind. This is really important to remember. It's not something that happens in the moment, and it can bring a lot of uh, freedom or a little bit of freedom, which is a lot. Yeah, in the moment. But it also changes the habits of the mind over time. So I want to give a little example from uh, someone shared this in a in a day long I was teaching recently, um, where I was just telling people the same kind of instruction that we've been having. Uh, just what happens when we meet experience with kindness and interest. And we were working. Uh, just like we've been doing here with sound or uh, breath or body. Uh, and we were in a, in, a, in a place where just next door there was some building work going on. <laughs> so uh, apparently the previous day long, a month before, had been a really bad noise. We didn't have it really bad, but it was construction noise. And someone said, someone shared um, with the group, with the whole group, that... Um, as she was listening to unpleasant sounds of the construction work, she thought, well, she keeps going on about this. Meet this with friendliness. You know, I'm, I'm going to try it out. And she just opened to the unpleasant sounds with an attitude of kindness, of interest, of friendliness. And the interesting thing that happened there was that the sounds carried on being unpleasant, but the experience stopped being unpleasant. There's a distinction there which we don't often see in our uh, normal conditioned way of relating to experience. Does that make sense to people? So a sound can continue to be on the unpleasant scale. Yeah, like a, a say, you know, someone just yeah, hitting a hammer, for example. Yeah. And yet in that moment of practice, meeting it with a sense of friendliness, the actual experience of the person experiencing was no longer unpleasant. And we can say some of the problem kind of was drained out of <laughs> that experience on that sense of problem and we'll come back to this. So we can see there's something in this attitude of friendliness that we're cultivating in all these different ways that can shift our experience in the moment and over time. So we can see uh, maybe the unpleasant can become less of a problem. And some of you have had this experience. Over the days here, yeah. being with tiredness, being with restlessness, being with body discomfort, and then meeting in a way where it's less of a problem than it initially seemed to be. The neutral, that which we don't uh, define as really pleasant or really unpleasant, that in between spectrum, which, you know, Ramiro said today, most beings in the world fall into that category. Most of our experience falls into that category. It's all the things we don't notice. Yeah. 
either not pleasant or unpleasant enough to draw the attention in its habitual ways. The neutral can become interesting. It can actually become worthy of our attention when we gift it our attention. Really interesting. (laughs) Really interesting. And I'm getting carried away here, but I can't resist saying this. Um, So much potential in that. Because if we say most of what happens to us, most of our experience doesn't grab our attention because it's not pleasant or unpleasant enough, what possibilities open up when we give our attention to that? What possibilities open up when we can train ourselves to give our attention to to that and with the gift of our interest, it becomes worthy of our attention. Really interesting. So the unpleasant, less of a problem. The neutral can become um, more worthy of attention, more interesting. Uh, The pleasant, and I've also heard that from some of you, uh, the pleasant ripens into more well-being. Now the well-being ripens, it kind of grows in well-being when we meet it with friendliness, beyond conditionality, beyond conditionality. And this, all of this that I've just said, yeah, is uh, very, shall we say it, wonderful news, <laughs> yeah, wonderful news. Not just because um, it makes life potentially more easeful uh, and more enjoyable, which is nice, yeah, but it's not just because of that or not primarily because of that. It's good news and it's important uh, because it opens up avenues of deepening understanding because you know what have what happens when we when we learn to attend in that way and what insights become available to us when we see the impact so more avenues of understanding open up for us avenues of understanding uh, of insight um, into how experience is constructed how it's shaped uh, into the fact that any experience, any phenomena, any appearance is conditioned. And it's conditioned in certain ways. So some of this we've been saying in different ways and similar ways. We start to see or we see more and more for ourselves and more and more deeply that when there's an experience, there's an object and a way of relating. Yeah. Anyone counted how many times we've said that already? Are you bored with hearing it yet? Sorry to say, I'm going to say it some more. <laughs> if you're bored, if you're bored, that's an opportunity to bring interest. Yeah. And if you're bored, I'll give you one of my favorite tricks. Try and get more bored, see what happens. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Oh, I'm bored. Try and get more bored. Yeah, really say, okay, boredom, I want more I want more of you. Try and see what see what happens. Mm-hmm. See what happens. It's also fun and it's also uh, very insightful. Yeah. 
So when there's an experience, an object and a wave relating to that object, an atmosphere, as if we've been calling it. And this is the insight that underpins our practice. It's the basis for our practice. Um, but it's also an insight that we keep deepening into. Yeah? And our understanding uh, can go deeper, can go more subtle. Uh, we can have more conviction in this insight experientially, from our own experience. We also see when we uh, take time to practice as we're doing here, uh, we also see that we have habits of attention and one of them is to give priority to the object, to focus on the object. And yet the practice, the teachings invite us to keep changing (laughs) Yeah, the prism on that lens. Yeah, to keep looking wider than just the object, yeah, and actually sometimes to shift uh, to the way of relating. Yeah, to shift to the way of relating, because that is where we have more possibilities. That's where we have more possibilities. That is where we have more uh, agency. That is where we where we can develop more skill. So I think I said this yesterday, we can see practice as a cultivation of um, the sensitivity to how is experience shaped right now and how can I shift my gaze from this, you know, the objects, they mesmerize us, they hypnotize us from the object to how I'm relating right now. Sensitivity to notice that and the agency, the possibility to make these shifts and to cultivate um, wholesome and skillful ways of relating. Mm -hmm. To cultivate the flexibility and pliability of mind to shift the way of relating, to shift between, to move between. I'm doing this little motion with my body. I don't know if you can see it in the back. Luckily, Jaya turned the lights up. Maybe you can see it, but it can be a very little shift, very little shift that we're making, but um, make a huge difference in the way experience unfolds. So we're cultivating many skillful ways of relating, not just metta, when we're on retreat. Cultivating that uh, generosity through, through giving the gift of our attention. It's a, cul- it's a cultivation of generosity. We're cultivating patience. Really big one. <laughs> when you're sitting there and you're frustrated because you know, your mind is all over the place or you're falling asleep again. Yeah. Just remember, you're cultivating patience. It feels like you're coming back to the anchor for the millionth time in just the last five minutes. Yeah. You're cultivating patience. And that is, wow, something that's needed uh, for each of us and, and for all of us. So we're cultivating all these beautiful, uh, skillful ways of relating, um, including metta, uh, remembering it's one of them, not the only one, but the one we're focusing on, uh, on this retreat. And it can be interesting, as I've already said, but to continue to see when metta is present, 
uh, how does it shape experience? How does it impact experience? Because it impacts, it shapes experience in certain ways. And one way, or one kind of big <laughs> highway <laughs> um, that it shapes experience is towards less reactivity. Yeah, less reactivity. And therefore less dukkha. Yeah. Less reactivity and therefore less dukkha. So, Jaya mentioned this word dukkha. Have we only mentioned it once? I think we may have only mentioned it once. That's, that's got to be a record for Dharma teachers. Mm. Make a note. Um, dukkha, very important word, concept in the teachings. Uh, when Jaya mentioned it, she uh, used the transla- translation um, unsatisfactoriness. Mm. And I also like... Uh, to use uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's translation, ill-being. Yeah. We use, we think about dukkha has a range, often translated as suffering, um, but that's quite a narrow uh, part of the range. Uh, it's the whole range from you know, some degree of um, dissatisfaction, you know, which gets us into fantasy <laughs> mode or into restless mode or into aversion mode. Yeah. And all the way to, to kind of more intense uh, suffering. And so metta kind of uh, deconstructs that movement. Yeah? And dukkha is very related to reactivity. When there's reactivity, when we're pushing things away, <laughs> when we're trying to grab onto things, uh, there's dukkha. Yeah? And we know that in our experience. We're trying to get something or trying to hold on to something. We're pushing things away. These are instincts. They're very instinctual uh, modes of reactivity that we have as human beings. And they come with a, uh, this degree we can start to understand that unsatisfactoriness <laughs> as a translation. Yeah? It's what is here is not enough. Yeah? What is here is not enough. Something else. And then that trying to get it and trying to arrange everything so it's all perfect. So if we go back to that example um, that I gave at the beginning of meeting an unpleasant sound with an attitude of friendliness, and we just break that down, can begin to see what we're talking about. Because what does the attitude of friendliness do? And I said before, it's not that it magically transforms the unpleasant sound into a pleasant sound. It can do <laughs> sometimes. Let's just be upfront about that. But a lot of the time, might not change the degree, the, the kind of uh, categorization into unpleasant. But what it does do is that it uh, dissolves, it lessens the reactivity the pushing away. So when something is unpleasant, we push it away. When that pushing away lessens, problematic element is drained out of the experience. And if you want a really cool image for that, (laughs) imagine a sink full of reactivity of water plug with a plug and you take out the plug and that just drains out 
out of the experience. Yeah. And that's what, uh, well that's what metta can do, that attitude of friendliness. And again, what does that reveal? As we practice, as we pay attention uh, to our experience, we begin to understand uh, experience in general and dukkha in particular does not simply appear out of thin air. Sometimes it feels like it, but it's not just appearing out of thin air. It's conditioned, it's constructed. It arises dependent on conditions. Dependent on conditions. And the Buddha uh, had really good uh, descriptions of these kind of processes. Mm-hmm. This was kind of something he was really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Unpacking that for us, making these maps for us. And here's part of a map that uh, yeah, I find incredibly useful. When there's sense contact, say a sound, it is categorized into pleasant or unpleasant. It's given that, we can say that label, that categorization. Pleasant, unpleasant, or that spectrum in between. The not particularly pleasant, not particularly unpleasant. Doesn't stay at that level of unpleasant or of pleasant. Our habit of reactivity, (laughs) that push-pull on experience, that demand that we have, creates escalation. So from the unpleasant, it becomes really unpleasant. And it becomes something that I don't like, and I don't want, and I can't meditate with, and I must get rid of. So there's this escalation and demand. And this escalates further and further when it goes unchecked. This is the power of habit. Escalates further and further into more reactivity and more dukkha. We have the example of the sound. And let's have an example from um, something that, as we know from yesterday's talk, happens to us. So drowsiness and dullness. Stars of the meditation retreat show and the first days in particular. Mm. And so there's a that kind of sense of dullness or drowsiness that appears. Any guesses? Unpleasant, pleasant, somewhere in between? <laughs> Most of us, unless we're in bed, yeah, and we want to fall asleep. If we're in the hall, it will be unpleasant. And that unpleasantness will escalate. Often we actually realize what's going on. We meet the experience when it's already quite constructed. Mm. And there's that sense of like, ah, this is horrible. Yeah. I can't do this. I have to get rid of this. And there's that sense of struggle with experience. Is that familiar to anyone? A little bit? Tiny little bit? Yeah, I thought so. So we can see that map right there, the sense contact, yeah? dullness in the mind or the drowsiness of the body, the system shutting down. Yeah? There's a sense contact there. Yeah? The mind is contacting that experience. 
And that is categorized as unpleasant. And then that unpleasantness grows as we, as the reactivity grows towards it. I don't want this. I don't like it. I want a bright mind. <laughs> yeah. I want to be alert. Sometimes it can be quite funny with these things because, you know, you sit out the tiredness <laughs> and you get past it, which can happen. Yeah. And then you have a bright, alert, quiet mind. At least it happens to me. Maybe it doesn't happen to you. And it's like, what do I do with this? You know, I've gotten so used to that struggle <laughs> with the tiredness. What do I do with an with a, with a alert, bright mind? Help, you know. <laughs> Just me, huh? All right, I'm blushing now. The important thing with this process is to see that build up. Yeah, to see that build up. And I want to stay more with that uh, aspect there of that categorization into pleasant and unpleasant because that's quite significant um, for us. And if you've never heard of that before, you're in good company. Yeah. Some of you may have heard quite a lot of talk about this, but it's really something quite unique to the Buddha's teachings. This categorization into pleasant, unpleasant, or somewhere in between. Um, and important to say, it's also pleasant or unpleasant for me. Yeah? It has that self-referential aspect, which we're not going to go into today, but important to say, it's, it's for me, it's about me. If you think back to the escalation process, there was a, not a lot of I in it, right? It starts with unpleasant, and then I don't like it, I don't want it, I have to get rid of it, yeah? There's a lot of self-reference. Uh, this process of categorization is called Vedana in Pali, V-E-D-A-N-A. -A. Uh, there is not a good English word for it at all, yeah? But it c we can just remember it as this uh, immediate categorization that happens of kind of sifting things, yeah, separating them, organizing them into these piles, into these categories. Um, and it's a building block of experience that has incredible impact on our experience. But it because it's uh, not conscious, we're not aware that it's happening. Yeah, it goes under the radar beneath our radar. And I'll come back to that. I'll also say just the common translations, the most common translation of Vedana is feeling tone. Um, you may see why I don't like the English translations, because what's that? Um, uh, there's a, a better one, more recent one, a hedonic tone, which kind of relates to this ple pleasure, not pleasure aspect. But it's just that important thing is to, to just remember it's this kind of this kind of movement that puts something onto an experience, onto an object, uh, onto a sense contact, yeah, very quickly. Habitually, we perceive the pleasantness or, or the unpleasantness, we perceive the Vedana as being in the object. Yeah, this is part of that same thing. We get mesmerized by objects and we think this is in the object. Yeah? The temperature is either pleasant or unpleasant. The sound is either pleasant or unpleasant. It's in the sound. It's inherent. Yeah. 
It's hot, it's cold, that is pleasant or unpleasant. And when we look, but yet when we look more closely, we see that objects do not contain yeah, this, um, they do not contain this attribute of being pleasant or unpleasant. Doesn't make sense, does it? I'm going to give you examples and you'll be convinced. Yeah? It's not in the object. It's not in the object. So, for example, different people yeah. will ha- associate a different Vedana to the same thing. For example, uh, to the same temperature. Yeah. I'm from the Middle East. I often give this example. <laughs> I'm from the Middle East. Up till you know the recent wave of, of heat in the UK, um, you know, I'd be walking around with a coat in the summer and looking at everyone else in shorts and just thinking, Are you insane? Yeah. So the Vedana is not in the temperature. Yeah? It's not in the temperature. Different people will see something different. Same with sound. So I had a conversation about this with my partner um, recently about modern classical music. Yeah. And if someone will listen to a piece of music and they will hear uh, a disharmony coming together yeah, and that will be beautiful, that will have a pleasant Vedana. Someone ha- else will listen to the same piece of music and they will have an unpleasant Vedana. Ever had that experience with anyone in your life? Yeah. yeah. It's not in the thing. It's not in the thing. So different people, different Vedanas for the same thing. Even more interesting, same person, <laughs> same object, different Vedana at different times. Yeah. So... This is also an example I use. I'm really boring. I use the same examples. Um, my partner makes really good coffee. He makes really, really good coffee. And he's really nice to me. He usually makes me a coffee every morning. When it's the right time, it's wonderful and the Vedana is pleasant. When it's not the right time, <laughs> he didn't check with me if I wanted it now. <laughs> yeah. the, the Vedana is unpleasant. Yeah. It's the same person, same event, yeah, same thing. The Vedana changes. And we can uh, yeah, we have many examples of that. Yeah, when we think, yeah, meditation session. <laughs> Come to the hall, we're in a pleasant mood. We're feeling, you know, quite up for it, we're energized, yeah. and the Vedana's pleasant. Uh, we kind of I don't know, had a didn't sleep well, and we come to the hall, and we're in a grumpy mood, and the Vedana is unpleasant. Yeah. Same, per- same person, same thing. Vedana is different. Yeah. So we start to see it's not in the object. Not in the object. And so when we explore Vedana, it's another way of kind of unhooking our attention from objects and shifting them to the process of construction of experience. We're shifting to something else. And as we're doing that, we're shifting to a bigger picture, which opens up more possibilities of freedom. Starting to look at the process of construction. 
oh, I really, you know, I'm loving the sunshine. <laughs> I want it to stay sunny forever. Is it going to be sunny tomorrow? I really hope it is. Yeah, that's what my mind does. Yeah. I don't know about yours. Um, and yet we have a possibility to actually unhook from that whole process of construction, which is dukkha in the moment, yeah? Because if I'm really fixated on whether it's going to be sunny tomorrow or not, I'm not enjoying the sun right now, yeah? am I? Or not as fully as I could. Yeah? So we start to see, oh, it's constructed. And the way I'm relating, if I'm holding on to it, it sucks out the well-being. Yeah? If I'm grasping out onto it. And so this kind of exploration and the skill that we can develop to recognize, to be sensitive to this layer of experience, and then to sustain our attention there, it can be very, very freeing. And one thing we're doing, I mentioned earlier, Vedana happens underneath the radar. It's not a conscious process that we are doing. We're not saying, oh, this, okay, I'll put this Vedana on it. Next. It's not something we're doing consciously, but we can bring it into consciousness through the practice. Yeah. We can bring it into consciousness. And, um, and it has enormous potential. I sometimes call it the get-out-of-jail card in the monopoly game of uh, life, yeah. of being a human. Enormous potential. I remember, this is a memory that's really stayed with me, one of the first times I taught this practice, which, as you can probably tell, I kind of like. Um, and I, I was teaching it on a retreat in India. And then someone came to me in a one-to-one, and they said, I can't believe this. They were so happy. They were so happy. I can't believe this practice. Unpleasant is just unpleasant. Yeah. Such a sense of freedom. Unpleasant is just unpleasant. All the rest of that building process is optional. It's just a building. And unpleasant is just unpleasant. So much freedom that's available. So when we pay attention to Vedana, we're changing yeah, this process of fabrication, of construction of experience. Yeah, we're changing it. Um, and that's the most important thing. Mm. It's to do with this process of escalation, of construction, of building up something. Yeah. So we're stopping the construction of dukkha, or we're deconstructing dukkha when it's already built uh, through this way of, of looking, yeah, through seeing the Vedana in the experience. And as an insight practice, um, we do this through attending to this building block of experience. Yeah, we kind of stay with the Vedana. We discover it, we see it, and we sustain attention with that. Um, and as we do that, yeah, that building kind of at least is limited, doesn't build as uh, strong, as big, as tall. Yeah. And also we can use it to deconstruct dukkha that's already there. So we might find ourselves in a, in a tangle yeah, and we just check what's the Vedana of this experience. And sometimes that can just bring enough breathing space. Just enough. 
to not keep constructing, not keep building that particular story. We're also deconstructing dukkha um, through metta practice. I already said that, but I already told you the secret that I keep repeating things that I've already said. And we're also stopping the escalation at the Vedana through metta practice. Yeah? And this, if it sounds a little bit too complicated, then park it. Don't try to, to get it right now if it, if it feels like it's too complicated. But when we relate with friendliness, with metta, to the whole range of our experience, yeah. which is what we're cultivating with metta practice, we saw that today, the trajectory. Move from what's easy to what's neutral and eventually to what is challenging. Yeah. So we're cultivating metta beyond Vedana. We're not limiting ourselves by the way we categorize experience and also by the way we categorize beings. And when we do that, when we relate with friendliness um, to the whole range of experience, we're going beyond that division. We're going beyond the limitations and the escalation of Vedana. Now we recognize this is a neutral person worthy of friendliness. What happens when I can cultivate friendliness? More well-being. Mm-hmm. Less dukkha. Okay. That's worth doing. Let's do a bit more. And we slowly expand uh, our range. So I think I said it uh, yesterday, metta in its trajectory, where it's going, which doesn't mean that this is where it needs to be right now, but where it's going is boundless. Boundless. Unconditional. It does not depend on the object in attention. It's beyond the particular object. doesn't depend on whether I like this or I don't like this. And it's not limited, therefore, by the object in attention. Pleasant sound or unpleasant sound. Pleasant body experience or unpleasant body experience. Not limited by it. So sometimes we speak of metta as illimitable. Cannot be limited. And takes us beyond our perceived limits. So when we cultivate this skill to relate with metta to the whole range of our experience and the whole range of Vedana, uh, we're cultivating freedom. From limiting habits of attention, from reactivity, from escalation, from unnecessary dukkha, to more possibilities and more well-being. And remembering this is something we can train in. It's something we are training in. We're training in this. Every moment of practice, we're training in this. Training in stopping the escalation from contact to dukkha through attending to our experience. And so when we uh, do that through attending to Vedana, this is an embodiment of metta. Jaya said that about hindrances. When we attend to hindrances, that's a metta practice. And when we lessen dukkha through learning the skill of working with Vedana, that's a metta practice. That's a metta cultivation. So 
So let's stop there for this evening. And as you may be realized by now, that exploration will continue tomorrow. Yeah. At least in the form of the teachings. It will continue tonight because we're not done yet with the practice. Yay! Yeah. And maybe we can just take a moment, you know, to appreciate ourselves. Yeah. And just whatever the experience is right now, there's pain in the body, there's joy in the heart, there's a mixture of experiences. Whatever is there, can we just have a sense of appreciation for ourselves, for what we're doing, for our courage and our honesty, and the beauty of our intentions. So deep bows of appreciation to each of you. It's a noble journey you are on. And thank you for your listening and for your practice. And we have half an hour for some walking practice and An hour ago, just over an hour ago, it was a beautiful starry night, and it might still be. And if that, if a starry night is a pleasant Vedana for you, <laughs> then I would really suggest to wrap up warm, maybe take a drink out, and either do walking practice outside or just stand, or sit, and be there with a wonder of the starry night and the appreciation for yourself and for um, everyone supporting us to be here, which is all of us here. So enjoy and we'll be back in half an hour for some practice and some chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.